This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast, still traveling. Is this a bachelor party or are you doing the wedding this weekend? No, no, no. I want another bachelor party and I'm officiating this bachelor's wedding. Oh, wow. This one's more low key though. I'm at a lake house in Maryland. You don't normally get the officiant at your bachelor party. That's like two different worlds. Huh, I actually never thought about that. Yeah, well, it just so happens like he's one of my best friends and I'm close with his wife and they were like, hey, would you like to officiate our wedding? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'll put my podcast voice on. I'll be like, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for Better Call Paul. Yeah, and obviously, whatever happens at the bachelor party, you got to compartmentalize because you can't be like, you know, I don't think anything bad will happen, but... No, of course not, Paul. You know, if you're in a hangover situation... We're all decent people here at this bachelor party. You know, I don't even think there's any booze here. Wink. Wow. (laughs) So we had a plan for you for this week, but we're going to tweak it a little bit because Queen Elizabeth passed away. And uh, we just, you know, there's a billion media outlets that are going to cover this in better detail and with more grace than we will. I mean, I'm not going to call myself an expert on the queen, but I know she ruled for 70 years. She was incredibly classy, graceful. 96 years old. 96 years young. It's hard to find anyone that's that famous that's been around for that long with that much power that isn't, you know, without a detractor. I think generally speaking, she was highly regarded by everyone. Totally. You know, I dove deeply into the crown. Jess and I love that show. And it really is sort of like a love letter or essay to the queen, you know, starting from season one with Claire Foy, all the way up to through her becoming like a young lady to a lady to the queen to a leader. I guess the show probably had 13 or 14 prime ministers. She's ruled over how many? 15? 15, yeah. And then she's met like 25 U.S. presidents or something like that. Every president since World War II other than Lyndon Johnson. Right. It's insane, man. It's um, And to your point about her being pretty beloved, like I, I have a lot of friends, including my sister, who my sister was born in London. She's spent 20 years there. Multiple friends who grew up in London. Like She's basically like, look, the Brits love the queen. They're kind of like whatever about the rest of the royal family, but they love their queen. I was watching BBC when the news broke with my sister, and they could barely hold it together on air. You could just see like how heartbroken they were over it. So, you know, RIP Queen Elizabeth. RIP. And I mean, honestly, I think the only sort of negative thing that pops up every once in a while is sort of how she handled the whole Princess Diana thing and, oh, and yeah. her death. And that, I mean, that's a, 
it's a horrible, tragic situation. Um, and there's really no way to sugarcoat that. But uh, listen, when you're in power, you can't please everyone. And I mean, I know she's a figurehead more than sort of being in power. It's more about just like the image of the monarchy. But you're right. I mean, Indian people love the queen. It's a little strange because they're they were colonized. Bro, as a fellow South Asian, we, for some reason, continuously support England in the World Cup. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about England and the UK, but it's just like, yeah, you colonize. We're over it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I guess it's like maybe it stems from tea. Like, you know, my parents are big tea drinkers. You know, growing up, it was like, get home from work, have a cup of tea. But anyway, rest in peace. Rest in peace. So this weekend, Jessica and I are headed to Toronto for the Toronto International Film Festival. This will be my first time attending. Jessica worked on a film, Susie Searches, that's premiering tomorrow, actually. So we're flying up tomorrow morning. And this is the first fully in-person TIFF since 2019. So it was canceled in 2020 because of the pandemic. It was hybrid last year, but there weren't a lot of stars in attendance. And now... It's going to be full tilt. So we are super stoked. Spielberg has a film, The Fablemans. Viola Davis is in The Woman King, which is premiering. There's the Knives Out sort of sequel, Glass Onion. Oh, man. I just saw the trailer for that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. During the NFL, during uh, Thursday Night Football, there yes. was a commercial film. Yeah, it was, so. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're very excited. I think Jessica's film is Susie Searches, and it's actually about a podcaster. So maybe I'll learn something. Well, that'll be fun, man. Enjoy it. Have fun. Toronto is a great city. Great food city, too. It is a great city, and I'm looking forward to getting a poutine. The festival is 10 days, but we're only going to be there for three because we're coming back Monday night because I have crazy week this week. But it'll be fun, and I'll, I'll certainly keep you posted, and any highlights will be in the next episode. Nice. Amazing. Our last update for this week. Uh, you know, it's kind of been a recurring theme. We've been talking about, specifically since Batgirl was kind of canned in August, Dave Zaslov's taking over Warner Brothers Discovery and him needing to find a Kevin Feige for the DC right. universe, right? The, the overarching creative head who's going to unite film and TV and have this continuity and make it so that they can just make billion dollar films one after another after another, the way Kevin has done for Marvel. Unfortunately, you know, it's a pretty hard thing to find. People like Kevin Feige don't grow on trees, people that are that smart. But how do you even know there are Kevin Feige, right? Like Kevin Feige became Kevin Feige. Wasn't he like a production assistant on like the X-Men movies or something? Yeah, he started as an assistant slash intern. I mean, you don't know. You become something over time. But obviously there are certain skills and traits like, you know, the ability to take direction, hardworking, being creative, being a comic nerd. I think that's the key part. The love for like the content, the comics. Like I think that's hard to find a good business mind and a good like creative mind who also understands like the material so well. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know Kevin personally. I, I had some interactions with him when I was at Marvel and he was always friendly to me. And everyone spoke very highly of him. My boss, who was like one of the smartest people I'd ever worked for, looked up to Kevin so much. And I think he's also grown into the role. Like you have to be an right. adaptive person as you get more and more responsibility. Your first job, crush it with Superman and then crush it as the assistant on Spider-Man. And then you get Iron Man and Hulk and you crush those. And then it's like, well, let's build out the Avengers. And then you start the MCU. And then it's like, okay, well now let's throw in all the Disney plus TV shows. So more and more stuff keeps getting added to his plate and he keeps rising to the occasion. So it's not that you can just 
find someone and then give them all that responsibility on day one and expect them to handle it. But WBD was in talks with Dan Lin, who is, I guess, you know, he's got a finance pedigree, Wharton and Harvard Business School. And he was the producer of the Lego movie. So he's intimately familiar with that universe. And you have to understand the DEC universe to make the Lego movie because there's so much overlap. Yep. And they were in talks for him to take the sort of head gig for the DC film and TV universe. But I guess talks fell through. You know, he has a production company, Rideback, and he wanted Warner Brothers to take an equity stake in that so that he could keep that company and have them do some of the production work on the films. And that's, I think, where this fell through. Yeah, because Rideback's, that's the live action animation studio, essentially, that's like helping create the Lego movies, et cetera, right? You know, listen, it's not uncommon for producers to have their own production companies. It allows them to have better control. It's also another revenue stream. So the Rousseau brothers have Agbo. Brad Pitt has Plan B. You know, there's the list goes on and on. There's a lot of... And Christopher, Christopher Nolan has... Um, Syncope. Yeah, I think he has that with his brother. So it's a common thing, and they couldn't get the economics to work out, I guess. They haven't really been talking about the deal publicly as far as like negotiating it in the press. It's just that he's no longer sort of being considered. There were other people considered, Emma Watts from 20th Century Fox, and Alan Horn is basically being the consultant to help Dave Zaslav fill this role. And he's a veteran studio exec. He was at Disney when Marvel was sort of integrated into Disney and he's been instrumental in other things before that. Tough person to find, but if you can, that'll help DC start chugging. Well, it was interesting because I think he's going to do just fine. I was checking out his IMDb to see what he was working on. This guy's like a list of interesting movies. I mean, he's got a new Lethal Weapon movie coming out. Johnny Quest, which I was a Cartoon Network show that I was obsessed with as a kid. So some type of re-release of that. You have Sherlock Holmes 3. He's doing, a, a, I guess, a new Inspector Gadget. All have similar themes here. Like he's in that, like, taking these old movies and themes and characters and producing them. So I think he's going to be just fine. I'm excited to see these movies. It's source IP, right? Yeah. He's taking things that have evergreen or at least underlying IP. Listen, the Lego movies are awesome. Everything is awesome. Well, the first one was incredible. Every yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything is awesome. <laughs> so he's a talented guy. I'm sure he'll do fine. I didn't like the Batman one, but he'll be fine. And, you know, they're still looking for their Kevin Feige. So at the end of the day, keep searching, guys, because hopefully you find it and do justice to the characters and the IP. We'll see. We'll see. The search continues. All right, let's take a break and we'll jump into the NFL. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Mesh, it's the beginning of September, and that means one thing for me. <laughs> NFL kicks off. I am a huge football fan, and I think some of our audience is probably also football fans. I have been playing fantasy football for 10 years. This year, I thought I was not going to do it. I've done between one and four leagues any given year. 
the only year I didn't play was the COVID year was in 2020 because I thought it'd be too unpredictable. But the NFL showed me and they didn't even miss a game. And then this year I was planning on not doing any leagues. And then I got roped into a work league literally on Wednesday. Someone was in the hallway of the office and they're like, hey, we need an extra person. Can you do it this year? And I said, sure. So now I'm back in. You got your fix. <laughs> yeah, just when you think you're out, they drag you back in. So, uh, I mean, it's a ton of time. It's funny because I'm, you know, at a bachelor party with these dudes who are like, all we're going to do is be watching football and they all are talking about their fantasy thing. And I've seen all the memes that are saying like, you know, girlfriends posting these memes or wives posting these memes where their husbands or boyfriends are like, you know, this is their coaching season where every yeah. dude who's actually not playing football as a coach. And funny enough, like I think fantasy football is a lot of fun. I used to play. I remember my first time ever playing, I won and I got so confident and then I lost. I was in last place every year after that. But I, I definitely get the appeal. It's a lot of fun. It makes uninteresting games more interesting, right? So right. like, you know, if you're watching a game between like the Jaguars and the Seahawks, right? Two teams that may not do that well this year and you otherwise wouldn't care because you don't have a geographic connection and maybe they're not in contention for the playoffs, but you have someone on your fantasy team that's like going up against them or you're going up against one of their players, it all of a sudden becomes important because it impacts whether you win or lose. And um, the reason, I mean, this is a legal business and legal podcast. So fantasy football is a $20 billion industry, roughly. Massive. It's 80% male, 20% female. I think somewhere around 20 million Americans play fantasy sports and 80% of them play fantasy football. It's a wealthy demographic. I think the median income is almost 90K. So a lot of people have disposable income. They consume a lot of advertising. That's legit, dude. That's a high number. Yeah, they're three times more likely to use like apps to order food. So it's people that have decent jobs are pretty well educated and they just like nerd out on this stuff. If you want to win a league, you have to put time in. Like you can't just sort of show up and win, at least not any leagues I'm in because you know, the waiver wire and following things and, and finding who's going to emerge and dealing with injuries and bye weeks. And there's luck, but a ton of skill involved. And the fact that there's skill involved is actually really important from a legal perspective, too, because one of the things that ushered in the popularity of fantasy sports from a business perspective is in 2006, Congress basically passed a law that prohibited internet gambling, right? So companies that were engaged in Online gambling couldn't take funds or deposits or transfers. There's a 2006 law called the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. But that did not apply to fantasy sports because fantasy sports was considered a game of skill, not a game of chance. And that distinction was super important at the time. And that's what allowed daily fantasy to grow and things like DraftKings and FanDuel grew dramatically. Depends in the, in the space too as well now. Starting in 2018, the Supreme Court ruled that PASPA, Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, was unconstitutional. And so that ushered in an era that allowed states to enact sports betting regimes. Now, where we are in 2022, it's legal in 30 states. There's five or six more states that are considering legalizing it. So you can actually legally gamble on sports within your state. You don't have, you know, when we were kids, you had to go to Vegas or you know, right, whatever, like right, Atlantic City. Right. And there were a couple of states that were grandfathered in 1992, but now potentially any state could legalize it. So it's legal in New York. You still have to f comply with the regime and get a license in order to operate and take 
bets and things like that. So it's not like the wild, wild west, but it's a huge business. And so yeah. now you can gamble on your phone. I guess it's only going to grow then. It's going to continue to grow, continue to get bigger. You know, funny story. It was a little over a decade ago, kind of the early days of DraftKings and FanDuel. I think it was DraftKings. My cousin was a well, he's a very good fantasy player, specifically in golf. He was like the number one golf fantasy player, but he was a top 50 or top 500 fantasy football player. And I went to the, I think it was the DraftKings finals with him. Uh, I accompanied him as his entourage to the 4040 Club really? in New York. Yeah, and I went with him and we had our, every, <laughs> dude, this thing was so funny. Me and him had our own table with like whatever we wanted. And we were watching the games to see, it was the finals. And there were literally other tables with these like young kids. I was joking about the entourage thing. These guys actually had entourages. They had like 10, 20 people with them. And he's pointing them out. And he's like saying like, that's like, you know, whatever their alias is. And that's that alias. And then I'm like, how much are these kids making? He's like, oh, th th these kids are easily making like two to $3 million a year. Um, just in fantasy. On daily fantasy. Yeah. So it's, it's like the pyramid thing, right? Like, 80% of people that do daily fantasy are going to lose money. 10% are going to break even. 5% are going to do okay. And then like 2 or 3% are going to do super well. Or maybe a fraction of that. Maybe it's just like 1% does really well. But I don't know how you could be that good at it. It seems so, like there's such an element of randomness to me. I know you can't win your league without trying hard and having skill and luck. But... I don't see how you could be in the top 10 of anything like that because of injuries and, and all the other stuff that happens. But good for him. It is interesting. It is. Well, that's, that's why he switched to fantasy golf because he was like, there was an arbitrage opportunity. Everyone was playing fantasy football. No one was really playing golf. So he went to golf. This guy just like cleaned up in fantasy golf, <laughs> which is hilarious. Good for him. He's great. I love him. I mean, listen, I'll stick to my day job or the pod. I'm not that good at fantasy football, but it makes, the other thing is even if you're not good at it, it does make the game more enjoyable and it's a great way to stay in touch. So I was in a league with like my brother, my childhood friends, my college friends, people I used to hang out with in LA. So like it's a low effort way to stay in touch with people and like keep the conversation going. Obviously you don't have that problem because you're at a bachelor party every weekend, but for someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say if you like, it is a great way, if you're not like paying attention to the NFL and don't really care, it is a great way to like get involved with the sport is like play a fan, like do a fantasy team. Don't put any money down, just have some fun. Then you kind of watch it for a different reason. I think it appeals to both people who are like diehard sports fans and people who just want to have like some type of fun. Yeah. And then Jessica's always like, why do you wake up at 3.30 in the morning on Tuesday? It's like, I'm just setting my waiver wire. Like, I just need to know. I just, you know, right after the auction period. And it's, it's. Uh, oh, my God. God. That's funny. I'm yeah. having stress well. about it. <laughs> anyway. Well, let's take a quick break. And then we'll get back with our other main story. Cineworld bankruptcy filing for Chapter 11. All right, Paul. So Cineworld, the second largest theater chain, files for Chapter 11 in bankruptcy court. At first, when I saw Cineworld, I was like, what is like, I don't have I been to Cineworld and realizing that they bought Regal, which is the theater that I regularly go to in New York City. 
they filed for chapter 11, went to bankruptcy court, but then they were granted access to financing. Can you give us a bit of background on what's happening here? There's two things I think would be helpful for the audience to understand. One is bankruptcy sort of generally, and two is sin a world factually. So bankruptcy generally, the US bankruptcy code, the most common cited chapters or used chapters are chapter seven, chapter 11. Chapter seven is liquidation and prefaces. I am not a bankruptcy attorney. We, My firm has a team of bankruptcy folks. I have worked on a handful of deals that were in or around bankruptcy. So I sort of know the broad strokes and principles, but I'm not a bankruptcy expert. But this is sort of my summary of it. So chapter seven, your company has no future. You're just liquidating the assets. And then Chapter 11, it's like, okay, you did some bad deals. You have a ton of debt. You have a lot of long-term obligations that you can't necessarily work with now, and your business isn't going to be profitable, but you have a plan to sort of slim down and become a more nimble, profitable company. Right. And then right. You, once you get out of these sort of bad deals that you have, you can pay some money back to your creditors. So it's like, resetting. It's like cleaning up. Cleaning up. It's called reorganization. So that's chapter 11. And Marvel had a chapter 11. Yeah. In 1999. And Ike Perlmutter bought Marvel out of chapter 11 and, you know, got rid of all the non-performing businesses and just slimmed it down, focused on merchandise, licensing, comics, started the movies slowly, and now look at Marvel. So chapter 11 can be a really helpful thing. I mean, what it does is it enables debtors to basically work out deals with their creditors. You can reject contracts. If you have unsecured creditors, you can also work out deals and do different arrangements. So in this case, what Cineworld is doing, to just to back up, is they bought Regal in 2018, hindsight being 2020, probably not the best time to go long in physical theaters, right? The pandemic right around the corner. And they have a ton of leases. So they lost, call it, Almost a billion dollars pre-tax in 2020. They lost half Jeez. of almost 560 million or so in 2021. And the pandemic recovery, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see yeah. that, hasn't been enough for them to be profitable, no. right? Because they're locked into bad contracts. Their leases are too expensive. They have too much space. And this is something we've talked about before. It's like, will the theatrical business recover? It may recover, but the definition of recovery isn't probably what people were expecting pre-pandemic. And, you know, we went through this in the U.S. with malls, too. Like, there were just yeah. people built too many malls in America, and a lot of those are going to turn into drop shipping centers or assisted living facilities or, or whatever else. Like, there's just too much square footage to support the demand. That's a really, really good point. Just with everything, right? If things get... Everyone gets super excited. Valuations go up. In this case, supply goes up significantly. There's really not that much more demand anymore because of COVID. And in their cases, like it's not only real estate leases, like employees, vendors, suppliers, all the things that a movie theater needs. And yeah, man, like it's tough. Like, cause even if things would get back to normal, God knows how long that takes. And we're seeing it. I think Bob Iger, our boy Bob Iger came out and said, we're not going back to a pre-COVID theater world where people were like packing up theaters. That world is gone. We're in a, and I'm, and I'm not, uh, this is not a direct quote, but he was basically talking about how post-COVID, it's not the same. We're not going to be in the same environment that we were before. So it's got to be really tough for them. I mean, COVID may have been the sort of the last straw, but 
Broadband was getting better. Internet's getting better. You have 8K TVs. So you can create the home theater feel in your house. So that was going to take some of the demand away. But just to bring it back to Cineworld, so they operate 750-so theaters in Europe and the U.S. The only operations that are filing for bankruptcy are the U.S. and U.K. operations. So the rest of their company is not going through bankruptcy. And they listed between 10 and 50 billion in liabilities and then they have $4 million in cash. So oh, dude, that's insane. Right. Basically, like they couldn't wait for a recovery because they don't have enough money to like pay their utilities. I mean, that's like saying like, hey, you owe us $1,000. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've got four cents in my pocket. Right, essentially. So they had to go to bankruptcy because this is going to allow them to sort of work out deals with their creditors. Now, secured creditors, they have liens on assets and they can force a sale and whatever. So they're much more protected than unsecured creditors. Your typical landlord, you know, you're going to go to them and say, hey, um, I have this five year lease for a huge theater in downtown Manhattan and I'll pay you half or a third. Right. right. Or you could take the space back. Right. Because like a landlord, rather than sitting there and getting nothing, there might be something in the lease that says, oh, you got to pay the full amount if you try to break the lease early. Realistically, they're not going to get that. So maybe what they'd yep. rather do is just terminate the lease early or work out some sort of alternative arrangement. And that's what this process allows them to do. I can't imagine stress running a, a theater chain business right now. So you get financing to run the business for operations. So they got about $2 billion in possession financing. They're going to use $650 million of that for operations, a billion to refinance some of their worst debt. And then they're also going to try to work out deals. Now, you have to make a plan. Your creditors have to approve that plan. And then if they do, the judge can confirm it. So it's basically like trying to make the best out of a bad situation. But I don't have an answer as to when the demand will return and whether it will return to 70% or 60% or 30%. I mean, no one really knows. Who knows, man? Right. I mean, they got to be betting that Marvel just keeps pumping out movies and Tom Cruise because those are the two folks that are getting people in the theaters right now. It's the big tentpole movies. And hopefully for you know the industry, I think there's something about the theater and the escape. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, you go with your friends, you go with your family. I know you're you're a big fan, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a three hundred million dollar picture to get you in the theater, but no. It has to be good. The thing right now is like as a theater goer, it has to be good where I'm like, I'd rather watch this in the theater. And I think there just haven't been a lot of good movies coming out. So we'll see. So yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like Center World, they didn't really have a choice. They don't have enough cash to continue. So they had to do something. They're going to make a plan. They got to work it out with their creditors. And the judge is going to confirm it. And we'll see. You know, I mean, this isn't the first and certainly not going to be the last. This is the process actually working, right? You sign contracts hoping the future is going to keep going and growth is going to happen the way, you know, it has in the past. And that's not always right. Sometimes you do bad deals rather than everyone having nothing maybe they can make a plan to slim down and and go back to profitability. And we'll see. But that's our show for this week. All right, folks. Well, hope everyone has a great week. Paul, have a great time in Toronto. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, Better Call Paul the Podcast. Hit me up on Twitter at Meshlakani. Leave us a review if you like the show. It's awesome to hear from y'all. So that would be lovely. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera and Marco Seiler Gonzalez. 
Thanks, everyone. Have a great time, folks. Take care, everyone. Thank you.